0: I present this episode to you bearing in mind that for many people, employment is a sore subject right now. Millions are out of work due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and it can be difficult to think of changing careers and finding a dream job, so to speak. However, if circumstances have got you thinking about a new career, or maybe your New Year's resolution was to look for more meaningful work, perhaps this book is a few pointers for you. Welcome to your favorite book. joining us today is Isha Modi. Hi Isha, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Doing well, as well as we can be here in 2021 now. And so Isha, before we get started talking about this book today, which I'm very excited to cover, it's a genre I don't typically talk about on this show, but I've been wanting to because there's just a wealth of information here. Before we get to all that about the book, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, Okay. So hi, I'm Isha. Um, Currently, I'm getting my master's in media advocacy. I'm a book lover, a fiction lover, foodie, empath, you know, all the things. So that's pretty much me.
0: Tell me about media advocacy. What does that entail? Yeah. So it's a
1: master's of science. And the way we kind of describe it is law school social justice meets journalism and media so it's kind of using communications as a way to like advocate and further the causes you're passionate Mm -hmm. about it it's very interesting and there's things that fall under it that you wouldn't even think of like how a tv show could possibly be used as a tool for advocacy or like twitter even nowadays so it's definitely something i'm super excited to study and gain that knowledge about
0: sounds really important today. I everything going on now with journalism constantly being called into question and just our political climate right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been very interesting going through this program during a time of like political and social unrest in this country and also during a transition of power as well and like seeing everything we do in the news about protests and even like politicians and their opinions. Um, My programs really allowed me to dive into that and see all the different aspects of it and consider new perspectives that like I wouldn't have thought otherwise. So it's definitely a skill set that I think it's applicable to the current times.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, another thing you brought up is that you're a fiction lover, yet the book we're talking about today is decidedly nonfiction. So I'm curious to know what really stood out to you about this particular book.
1: It's funny that I like chose this book because I rarely read nonfiction, like one book a year, maybe tops. And at the time in my life where like I found this book, I was kind of at a crossroads, like not really knowing what I wanted to do with my life. I had graduated from undergrad like six months before and I was working in this job that I thought was my dream job. And so when I found this book, I was like, okay, I probably won't read that much of it. But as soon as like I read the first page, I was like, oh my gosh, this author is literally me. Like the way he, the author, Adam, introduces the book is just so relatable mm-hmm. and something that I think it's different from like the normal like self-help books out there where they're like, you know, breathe for five minutes every day. Like close your eyes and breathe or like do stuff like that. This is something that like is actually relatable to millennials. So yeah.
0: Absolutely. I thought this book was very tangible in how it presents things like you could actually act on the suggestions. It felt much more concrete. And uh, before we get into it a little bit, um, to back up a second and talk a little bit about this book. So the book we're talking about today is called The Quarter Life Breakthrough, Invent Your Own Path, Find Meaningful Work and Build a Life That Matters by Adam Smiley-Postwolski as anyone might who's covered the show or listened to the show for a bit, I don't typically cover a lot of self-help books like you, Isha. It's not typically a genre I read. Um, you're actually only my second guest to have picked a self-help book for this show. And actually with my first guest, who was uh, Craig and Zanna, um, we spent a good amount of time really talking about the self-help genre because I was pretty biased against it. I was like, okay, this is really narrow advice for the privileged few. This doesn't help a lot of people. And we really unpacked kind of what makes good self-help and what makes bad self-help. So I feel a little more equipped coming into this one, but this is a very different book than the one before. So to give you all a brief summary before we jump into our thoughts. So in this book geared to millennials and the changing job market, Adam Poswalski Stresses the importance of finding meaningful work, rethinking the corporate ladder structure, and cultivating the right support system. The book is part anecdotes and part interactive exercises, and it seeks to answer in a nuanced way, what should I be now that I've grown up? So it really is kind of that answer to that early 20s, mid-20s, early 30s milieu that you end up in, like, what am I supposed to be doing? Am I in the right role? And if not, how do I get there? And these are really big questions. And so Isha, you mentioned you first read this right at a big transformative period of your life. You're you know, out of college, you're trying to figure out what you want to do. And so how do you think this book really spoke to you at that time?
1: Yeah, I think at the time, like, so for context, I had just graduated from undergrad with a double major in psychology and human rights. And I come from a South Asian background. And Those two majors are not something you typically see from, like, Mm -hmm. someone in the South Asian community. And ever since I was little, like, I didn't really want to do that, like, typical path that you see a lot of South Asians do. I just, like, knew it wasn't for me. Right. So during college and after college, I was like, okay, I know I want to do something that's, like, meaningful and that I'm helping people and making an impact on the world. But I didn't really know – What that was like in my head, it was just like working in the nonprofit industry. But like I said, I was working at what I thought was my dream job at the time or dream company, and it wasn't like all that I thought it was going to be. So I was at a crossroads and like didn't really know what jobs I should be looking at, what I should be doing, should I go to grad school, should I not. And I didn't have that like guidance from anyone really in my life to like help me along the way. So I found this book really randomly at like my local library. And I don't know, it was short. I was like, might as well just like pick it up. Like I'm not paying for it, might as well. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I think that that moment that I like picked up the book and then read the first page, it like instantly got me hooked. Mm -hmm. And it just spoke to me because the first page or the first two pages of the book literally described the author And that somehow also described me. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is me in a book.
0: Yeah, and I I really liked that about the author because one of the big critiques I often have about self-help books is like people are writing them from this like, they're kind of like lording above you in this way. It's like, look at me, I've made it and now you can make it too. Whereas in this book, Adam is so transparent about the fact that he's still in the thick of it he he keeps describing that he's 32 with five roommates which to me (laughs) was like oh my god (laughs) but he is comfortable with the path his life is on and he doesn't see himself at like the end of any kind of journey but he he just likes the way he's living his life he likes the process that he's kind of adopted for himself and that's what gives him the idea to advise others. And I, I really like that. It comes from a, just a genuine place of self-awareness, which I think more self-help needs to come from.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Because I sometimes I feel like self-help is very broad and you don't feel like they're talking to you like or the issues that you're trying to go through. It's just very general. And for me, I thought that this was very specific to what a lot of like 20-somethings go through.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I feel like we all have our our kind of variations of this. And so you told me a little bit about your story. You know, coming from a South Asian background, you've got those degrees that you know don't immediately go towards the the big trifecta of careers. You know, your doctor, lawyer, engineer, and then you're trying to find you know what was meaningful work to you. And that speaks to me as well. I mean, when I was uh, finishing up undergrad, I thought I was going to go to medical school, and that was just what I thought I wanted to do. I was like, I want to help people. And I can do that by being a doctor. And over time, I realized there's a lot of ways out there to help people. And if medicine isn't your calling, that's not the direction you have to go. But it can be difficult to sort of get rid of that tunnel vision and look at other options. I'm glad I ended up looking at other options, but because medicine and those kinds of careers are not for everybody. And um, I, I feel like had I come across this book at that time in my life, it could have been even more helpful.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why I think I was so drawn to this book is that it didn't give you also that traditional path that you hear a lot of people talking about. I mean, Adam talks a lot about it in the book, but he's like, he describes the path he took almost as like lily pads instead of climbing the ladder. And I really appreciated that because I feel like there's this pressure for us for millennials and people in their 20s and early 30s to kind of get the job and then work their way up and stay at a company. And from what I've seen with myself and my friends, like that's just not the way it is anymore. And so it kind of takes that pressure off.
0: He tells us to rethink the whole corporate ladder structure. And in my opinion, it's about time because modern day, you know, workers and companies, they don't really work that way anymore. Like he kept citing the statistic that most millennials don't stay at a job that long, but like in across generations, people have been jumping from job to job, but we still have this cultural idea of the corporate ladder, you know, stay at a company for 10, 15, 20 years, you work your way up and then you retire as like some kind of manager. But like, it, it kind of also enforces that there's only one thing that you end up being when you grow up, so to speak, where in reality, not only yeah. are we changing companies, we're changing possibly career paths and disciplines and things like that.
1: Yeah. And I and I think it also furthers the idea that there's only one type of success and that's if you get into that like manager director kind of role. And that's not what everyone defines as success and happiness.
0: Absolutely. And I one thing that stood out to me here is he he demonstrates like what everyone looks for from a job is completely different. So to cite myself, I, as I decided medical school wasn't for me, I realized I wanted a job that allowed me to have work-life balance. It's one of the things I didn't envision for myself as a doctor. I didn't think I'd have a lot of work-life balance, but I have a lot of hobbies. I have a lot of other aspirations. I, I like to write. I like to read. I wanted. Um, like a job that would let me have that time and energy. And I was helped, I I prioritized that when looking for a job and found a path that works. But like some people, maybe they value, you know, moving up and making a good, sa- a good salary. Maybe some people value what they can serve to others. You know, they want a helping profession. There's a lot of different ways you can go to derive your own personal definition of success.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I, I think that takes the pressure off like when you're graduating college and you know you need to get that job because you think that's what's going to like make you successful and happy. it kind of gives you breathing room to figure out what it is you actually want out of life and I think especially this past year with everything that's gone on in 2020 this could be like super applicable because like people are thrown into situations where like unfortunately they're they either lost their job or have to figure out new sources of income or new things to pursue. And I feel like this book was like applicable back then when it was written, which I think was like four or five years ago. But like now in 2020, 2021, it's like the values and the things that he talks about are just as applicable.
0: I think it it sort of encompasses the millennial generation and now Gen Z as they're coming into work. And things like that. So I think a lot of this has sort of held up in a lot of ways, even though it's been a few years. Um, I also really like that Adam sort of demonstrates that it's not about finding a life passion, but more finding your skills and finding jobs that utilize your skills, because he rightly says, you know, passions change a lot over time, and not everyone can just follow their passions that 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 becomes, you know, where self help gets really empty. Mm -hmm. When you have those kind of blind, like, just do what you love, follow your passion. it's like, okay, what does that mean, though? How do I make money?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And he says something about this in the book. It's like, do what you love. But what if you don't know what you love? Mm -hmm. And so like giving yourself that space to really explore possibilities, even if you don't think they'll come, like anything will come out of it, then you'll know like, hey, I don't like this or I do like this. And then you can move from there.
0: Absolutely. And I think that brings me very nicely to one of the big things Adam does in this book, and that is the exercises that he brings into this. So he mentions in this book that he started this out as kind of a memoir, but it later transformed into a self-help interactive book, which I think worked better. So I'm curious, when you first read this, did you go through some of those exercises? Did you find them helpful? Honestly, I
1: didn't go through the exercises and the this- also could be because I don't have like that self-help mindset. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like as I was reading the book, I thought a lot about the things that he was saying. So I was very much the person who like absorbed and like probably read two pages and then like put it down and thought about what he was saying more than like do the exercises. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I think those exercises in the, in there are really valuable to people who maybe can't put their life into the perspective of what he's talking about and like apply the things like right off the bat and also his exercises aren't like super frou-frou and just like oh do this like I think that they actually are tangible and things that would help you if you do them you know
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're very, they're very concrete. Like I said, I didn't go through the exercises kind of point by point either, but I did think about them. You know, I came to where they were in the page and I kind of let myself think on those subjects. It's like, okay, what are my skills? Like, what are the things I'm good at? And I liked how he said, I remember that exercise particularly. And he's like, write down the things you were good at as a kid, too. And I'm like, oh, how's that relevant? But it kind of was still. It's like, what was I good at as a kid? And I thought about that a little bit and I'm like, oh yeah, I can kind of see how I'm yeah. in my current profession now and things like that. And yeah, I thought the exercises were a great way to engage the reader. You know, it's not just getting bogged down in the anecdotes or in his, you know, sort of worldview. You're able to sort of put your own life into it and find ways for this to work for you.
1: Yeah, I I totally agree.
0: I I'm curious though, because on one hand, I really liked the exercises here. But on the other hand, I thought his anecdotes were just the the format of the book after a while, even though this is a pretty short book, you can read it in like a day. Um, even though the book is pretty short, I thought there were just a lot of anecdotes, like one after the other. It's like, he has all these friends who do all these different things. And maybe I'm like, maybe I was just kind of like, how do you know this many <laughs> <funny>, successful people? <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I kind of felt the same way too, because it was like, he would share something about his life and then, say a point and then be talk about like a friend's life and an anecdote about that, then go to like another anecdote. And it was like story after story that I almost like like started tuning it out a little bit. So for the first time I read it, I read it physically. And then I read it like a week ago in preparation to talk about this. And um, I actually heard, listened to it on audiobook. And mm-hmm. I think When I listened to it on audiobook, I kind of tuned a lot of like the examples out because I was like, oh, okay, I get his point. Yeah. But then it kept going.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think he belabors the point a little bit. And we didn't need quite that many anecdotes. But honestly, if he did cut some of those out, you probably wouldn't have something that was book length. This was a pretty short book. Um.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and also, I think that if I really like think about it or like if I really like, was at not like the best place and I was reading this book, it could make you feel like, okay, like if I choose to go this path or like explore my options, then I have to like make a company out of it or do this because a lot of the examples and anecdotes he gives are of his friends like finding something that they enjoy and then like making a company out of it. And then like there was one example where he talks about his friend creating a company and then it getting like, sold or it went public or something like that. And he made a bunch of this money. And I feel like at times it could put pressure on the reader to like have a big and grand moment like that. So I can see where like, that could be kind of, you know,
0: yeah, I, I felt that too, which is really funny because I remember in the book, he talks about like being on Facebook and seeing people say like, OMG, I'm on Forbes 30 under 30 or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, like all your friends just seem like that successful. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe you're 32 and living with five roommates, but like all these people, you know, like.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And I I thought it was interesting too, um, since You mentioned earlier that you are a grad student. I was also a grad student. I'm a couple years out of grad school. So I wanted to know what you thought about his chapter on grad school. Okay. So I
1: reread it, I guess, now. And I'm going into my last semester of grad school. And the funny thing is, is that this book, I always say that if I didn't read this book, I probably would not have gone to grad school. (laughs) Funny thing to say because I feel like he completely shits on grad school in this book.
0: He does. He he's very like eh grad school. He kind of treats it as like you're putting off like working, which in some cases maybe, but in some cases probably not.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he also says there's a, like a line where he's like, if you go to grad school at 23, you're just gonna come out with no debt with um I'm sorry with a ton of debt and no idea what you're doing. And I was like, oh. Oops, I started grad school at 23.
0: <laughs> same, same girl, same. I read that and like, I feel called out. I feel attacked. But
1: it's funny because, again, that being said, when I read this book, I was like at that stage where I was like, do I want to go to grad school? Do I not? And I think this book, at least the first half of it, pushed me to kind of explore grad programs that were like non-traditional. So Mm -hmm. it's interesting because he uses the example of law school in the book. And I was kind of at the point of like, should I go to like law school or like get my MBA? Because, you know, that's what's acceptable, quote unquote, acceptable in South Asian society and like looked highly upon. But in my heart, like I knew that like I wanted something else that kind of brought in other passions. And I had had like a social justice, like human rights kind of background in undergrad, but I really wanted to explore like the media, the writing, the create, the creative side that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so reading this book kind of inspired me to kind of merge those things. And that's how I eventually found the media advocacy program that I'm in right now and applied.
0: Yeah. And it, in that case, it seems like grad school was a great fit for you because it helped you kind of refine what you were looking for. It's not like you were putting off looking for a career. It helped you sort of understand what it is you wanted from your career.
1: Yeah, exactly. And even going back to the point of like how he makes it seem seem like you are delaying working, um, I feel like I've worked so much more and gotten so much more experience while in grad school Mm -hmm. than I ever would have like out of it. Like I, the amount of people I've met, the amount of opportunities I've received, I think that was just very valuable to me at the time of my life. And if I hadn't had those, I probably would not be, I guess, going in the path I am in terms of my career.
0: Right. And I, I totally get that. It's making me think back to my own grad school experiences. So when I went to grad school a couple of years back, also age 23, um, in my line of work, so I'm a genetic counselor. In my line of work, the grad program, it's a master's degree, but it's a training program. So we have to go to grad school in order to practice genetic counseling. So it's similar to like your med school or your law school in that way, but it's technically grad school. So it's got that Thing to it. You know, it doesn't sound like law school. Yeah. It, it's still a master's degree, but it is necessary to practice. So I knew, like, okay, if I want to be a genetic counselor, I have to go to grad school. But at the same time, I had about half my class, like me, straight out of college, younger. And then about half my class were out of school for a few years. They had done a couple other careers, maybe things like that. They explored other avenues for a bit. Um, and they came to genetic counseling later. And honestly, looking at all of us now like we're all pretty good at what we do some of us got a lot from those external experiences some of us did just fine coming straight out of undergrad and so there really is no one size fits all pathway even within the same field
1: yeah and i i think that's the thing about the grad school chapter that kind of didn't sit well with me where he almost the rest of the book is very much like you do, you like, you follow your own path. And then for some reason, this chapter is like, no, grad school is like, you should only go if you are this type of person. But like, I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I think that a lot of people end up benefiting a lot from like the guidance of grad school because it is more tailored than undergrad. And at least in the US, it is, and gaining kind of more of a, idea of what they want Mm -hmm. and that could be super valuable to someone who maybe doesn't have um those people to talk to like in real life about their their career path like I did or even someone who like knows what they want but you know is too afraid to like do it on their own, like independently.
0: Right. You you really benefit a lot from that extended networking, from just being around people who are in the field you want. It, maybe maybe you think about going into academia and maybe you decide, no, that's not the path for you. But grad school is just one of many paths to help you figure that out. And I do find it interesting. He's all about you do you, jump your lily pads, find what works. And then grad school is like, nah. <laughs> Grad school is just one of the lily
1: pads, you know? Exactly. And that's – I think that's the way I think of it because, like, yes, it's expensive and stuff. But, like, I don't think you should, quote, unquote, shame someone for going to grad school right? if that's the path that they need to take.
0: Right. Exactly. And I do know, you know, grad school is not accessible to all of us. And I wish it was because it can do a lot for you. And I think that's the main thing we have to take on rather than don't go because it's expensive. We should really be focusing on how can we make this more attainable for everyone who wants to go?
1: Yeah. And I I will say that there's one part of it where he's like, don't go just to go, and I and I kind of agree with that. Like, just don't go because you think that that's what's expected of you. Mm-hmm. Um, go because you really want to, and if that's the case, whatever the reason is, that's you know,
0: true. that's definitely true, and I I do agree with that because there are people who go just to go, and that's not it's not useful of your time. It's not useful for everyone else's time. You should go because you really want to, and. Exactly. I, I think another thing he brings up in this book, so we've talked about kind of his privileged friends. I found them kind of a monolith because I wanted I wanted to hear from just sort of a broader range of people in this book. For mm-hmm. instance, like it focuses very much on white collar jobs. I, I don't see anybody coming from a blue collar profession and making their lily pads through there. I thought that would have been interesting. I wanted to see people who even though they're millennials and young, and therefore you think they're unattached. I wanted to see people with family obligations and like people to support in their lives because, or people who have tried the lily pad approach and it didn't work for them. And they, they go to a more conventional setup or people who chose to stay in their jobs long-term and just, you know, use their free time for more of their passions, which we see a little bit of that there, but not enough. I just feel like there's More he could have brought to the table so it didn't all feel so one note.
1: I agree with you. I think that even looking at my friends in my own life, there are people, a lot of my friends actually could not do the lily pad approach. They need that structural ladder to like climb and to kind of feel like validated in the work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think also when you think about just like job security, the lily pad approach is like great, but- What about people who maybe are climbing the way out of poverty and like need that stable Mm -hmm. income and the lily pad approach sometimes doesn't provide that. And I think it's almost, it's it's interesting because like I do personally feel like I work well with the lily pad approach, but I also can see how it sounds very privileged. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you can just jump around from like job or thing to thing But again, there are people who need that structure.
0: Absolutely. And another thing he keeps bringing up, especially in relation to himself, it's like, well, you know, if things don't work, you can move back in with your parents for a bit. And it's like, not everyone can do that, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's like, I I like that he kind of takes that stigma out of it because like, let's be honest, a lot of people in 2020 like had to move back in with their parents. And like, they're not super happy about that. But at the same time, like there are people who can't, Maybe because of like other reasons, like maybe it's not a safe space for them, or they just don't have that safety net. Or I think about people who are like in the foster system who don't have that like home, yeah, that they can like fall back on. Like I would love to hear about people like that who come from like upbringings that aren't like super traditional, mm-hmm. or like they don't have that like fairy tale kind of white picket fence kind of upbringing.
0: Right, exactly. And he he talks about like, you know, moving to San Francisco on a shoestring budget. And I'm like, no one can afford San Francisco anymore. Like, that's the most expensive place in the country. And he was talking about like making it in San Francisco. I'm like, no wonder you live with five roommates. Like, (laughs) like, no one can afford that anymore.
1: At one point he like talks about going to like, I don't remember what country it was, working abroad. And I was like, that's great. But like- realistically like once you graduate college not many people have that easily accessible to them
0: yeah that 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 was that and it, it kind of made me feel this is something I can't really put into words super well but the emphasis he placed on like a lot of his anecdotes focusing on people going to you know other countries often in Africa and like working in nonprofits there and it changed their lives and it just all felt very self-serving even if the intentions were good it just kind of seemed to fall into that almost white savior complex yes. that i feel like we've been trying to get away from
1: yeah i completely agree with you cuz that that's like something i saw a lot in kind of the field that i work in and i've worked in a lot of nonprofits and i saw that so much and it's something that frustrated me cuz it It's the thing that I didn't want to do in this line of work. And I feel like there's ways to help people and there's ways to like, I don't know, make an impact without feeding into that complex, especially when it comes to like helping people in other countries. Because I find that a lot of these programs, they, you know, you're there for like a short period of time, like two weeks a month helping them. And then when you leave, it's something that a lot of people connect back to like, orphans parade around and then like they get attached and they have to leave or like the foster system and that kind of goes back into that same thing which you know I hoped he wouldn't that Adam didn't really like I don't know emphasize and kind of promote but sometimes he kind of did and I know it's not him necessarily it's like his friends stories but like I felt like he could have had less of that in the book.
0: For sure. And I think that might be one of the few places this book kind of shows its age. I mean, it's only a few years old, but I feel like our our conversation culturally about that kind of work has changed a lot just within the last couple of years. So in that way, this already feels like a little bit dated. Like when I was an undergrad, like you go on your missions and you help people and then you come back and you forget about it forever. And except for when you're writing like job applications, like it had that very, like, you know, you, you punch your card in, feel to it and I feel like we're slowly starting to move away from that or at least I hope to but overall I think maybe this is just the book showing its age a little. Yeah I agree. And so um, before we wrap things up I guess I'm curious to know are there any other books that you would recommend for people that have read um, the Quarter Life Breakthrough. Have you actually recommended this book to other people before we get into that? Have other people read this book in your life? Yeah,
1: I I can, so I always recommend it just like when people ask what my f- like favorite book is. It's funny because again, fiction is like my favorite but this book, for some reason, I just think it's applicable to so many people and, you know, fiction sometimes like not everyone's cup of tea, like it's a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I've recommended this to like a couple of my friends and a lot of them have not read it yet, which is kind of sad, but (laughs) I think that just like shows how busy they are in life. But from like reading just the blurb, a lot of them are like, wait, like that's, that makes sense. And I also think that this is the type of book that you kind of can't pick up almost until you're ready. Mm -hmm. like you're not going to get much out of it if you're just like reading this to read it. Like you have to need the book. That sounds very like, oh my God. But like, you know, so yeah. And I feel like my friends have really ha- at least had this on their to be read list. So that makes me happy.
0: There you go. That That's definitely a place to start. And I agree that this is the kind of book that's more situational. Like for like, I think for me, as I was figuring out my career path, this book would have been a lot more helpful. But now that I'm kind of settled in a career path kind of found a little bit of my work-life balance I'm like this book isn't super applicable to me now but I'm kind of keeping it in my head a little bit because I did learn a few tips and tricks along the way that'll definitely help me out potentially in the future who knows and um basically I when I was thinking about a book that I'd recommend like you I'm not a big self-help reader and so I was like okay like what's a similar book here and I ended up gravitating towards a work of fiction where a character kind of adopts this model and so the book I'm thinking of that I'd recommend is Writers and Lovers by Lily King which I've talked a lot about on my show recently because it was one of my top uh, top books of 2020 and I talked about it at length but essentially we have a character who's in her early 30s late 20s she's in a transitional period of life her passion is writing, but writing doesn't pay the bills. And so she waits tables. But essentially, over time, she starts looking into new career opportunities. She takes advantage of a skills based approach rather than you know, she spent all this time waiting tables, but she has all these other talents that stem back to her love of reading and writing. She's able to use those skills and sort of pivot into a new career. It's not the main focus of the novel. But I I liked the path that Adam kind of set out and I feel like, oh, this character could have been one of his anecdotes, but on a nice small scale. Like she, Her aspirations are smaller than some of these other characters, but in a way that was a lot more relatable. And the book is beautiful. It's just very lush writing and very introspective. And so I recommend that book a lot. And so Isha, I'm wondering, do you have a book that you'd recommend as well?
1: Wow. Um, I definitely need to put that book on my uh, to Be Read List, because that sounds interesting. I
0: think you like
1: it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was thinking again about like, okay, well, what would work? Because again, I don't read that much self-help. But the one book I would say um, is Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, mm-hmm. So Elizabeth Gilbert is the author of Eat, Pray, Love. And so this is kind of her memoir, but I don't want to say memoir. It's like a self-help slash Autobiography of like how she came to basically write Eat, Pray, Love, and um, it talks about like creativity and how a lot of the times we put too much pressure on um our creativity and how we sometimes want to get like use our creativity as a means of like financial gain. So like making a career out of like photography if that's something that you're really into or if that's your creative outlet, and so. I thought it related a lot to mm-hmm. um, A Quarter Life Breakthrough because in A Quarter Life Breakthrough, we talk a lot about like finding your interests and finding the stuff that you really want to pursue. But on the other hand, like Big Magic talks about how we shouldn't put too much pressure on our creativity. Um, so I kind of take both those ideas and smush them together to be like, yeah, it's okay to like have that like uh, lily pad kind of approach in your career and finding the things that you really enjoy doing, but also like don't inhibit yourself by putting too much pressure on yourself to have that kind of mindset, you know, kind of take it easy a bit. So definitely Mm -hmm. um, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And the way she writes the book is very easy to consume as well. Like it's very easy. It's not that like frou-frou self-help we're talking about. And then another one I would say would be um, Broke Millennial by Erin Lurie. I've just started reading that book, but it's also a different kind of approach to finances where it talks about doing the adulting thing, but making it more applicable to millennials in a way that you'd understand. So in that book, I feel like just the way she approaches every topic is very similar to how Adam approaches stuff. In a quarter life breakthrough where it's it doesn't seem like existential and like like hard to consume and understand for someone. So yeah, those would be my two books.
0: Interesting. So you're actually my second guest on this show to have recommended Big Magic. And usually when I hear it I guests, they, it. when I hear it more than once, I'm like, okay, definitely gotta read this now. So
1: <laughs> well, I'm surprised because I feel like not many people read that book.
0: No, yeah. Um and Tavana, the one of the hosts of Brown Girls Read, she Quotes it as one of her all time favorite books, and she couldn't wow. sing its praises enough. And I'm like, okay, multiple people are telling me <laughs> to read this. I gotta get around to it for sure. And wow. I've heard of Broke Millennial too, and I think I may check that out as well. This I've enjoyed kind of dipping my toes into the I've enjoyed dipping my toes into the self help arena a little bit because um, there, even if not all of it is applicable, you can usually dig out a few things that work for you, because there is no one size fits all model.
1: No, and I, and I think that in the past like five years, I would say, there's been this like upsurge of just like a bunch of really easy to read, really like relatable self-help that I'm so here for and I hope it keeps like continuing on like, um, what's that
0: book? Uh, like How Not to Give a Fuck or something yeah, like that? Yeah, I've read that one. Mark Manson, yep.
1: Yeah, like those type of books I think are just like cool and they have that like millennial mindset yep. in mind going into it and it's not like – it's not your like mom and dad self-help book.
0: Yeah, it's self-help for a new generation for sure.
1: Yeah.
0: And I you made me think of another book actually. So one of my guests on the show a few weeks ago, Poonam Desai, um, she wrote a self-help book herself and we spent some time talking about it. Her book is called Sincerely Life – and like the quarter-life breakthrough, it's interactive. So there are exercises to go through. She's very clear that this is her life philosophy. She's just another one of us. She definitely doesn't put herself, you know, any higher than the readers and the consumers because she's in the thick of it herself. But she's like, this is what's worked for me. This may work for you. And I've really enjoyed her book. And Punam, if you're listening, Hi big fan. Yeah. And but she was a she was a guest on the show. And I think if you've read the quarter life breakthrough, um, definitely look for Poonam's book. It's on Amazon. And it's really great.
1: Wow, I need to check that out as well.
0: Yeah, it's so nice to even see like South Asians in that self help, the self help space. There's not a lot of us out there.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's just it's great that we were seeing more rep in just like The book industry in general with South Asians because you finally see someone that looks like you or is like you, yeah.
0: Representation matters. Oh my gosh! And so before we end today, Isha, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had Mm -hmm. a blast talking about this book and really digging into it with you. And if my listeners want to find you, how can we find you?
1: Yeah, so I am on Instagram. It's at Isha Modi at I S H A M O D I I I so three eyes at the end.
0: There were too many Isha Modis with one eye and two eyes.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then I had my username as something else, and a lot of people just thought it was something else. Don't want to get into it, so I changed. <laughs>
0: That makes sense. Absolutely. So yeah, definitely find Isha on Instagram. And of course, uh, like and subscribe this podcast, you know, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at YFB podcast, subscribe on your favorite uh, podcatchers, Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find us. There's new episodes every Thursday. Isha, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me.